1: For more information, visit
2: cane5.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning and welcome to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network, where school food insiders... Pursue insight, inspiration, and progressive solutions that really work. I'm Laura Stanley. Um, today we are returning to further discussion of Child Nutrition Reauthorization 2015. Um, I am doing my best to help you keep up with what is going on as I scramble to stay current myself. Um, today's episode is the promised walkthrough the CNR process and, and some of the emerging content that's currently under consideration by the Senate and House committees. Um, involved in this process. And I am thrilled to have as our guide uh, Jacqueline Schneider, who is Deputy Staff Director and Policy Director for the Senate Agriculture Committee under the leadership of Ranking Member Debbie Stabenow. Um, the Ag Committee is tasked on the Senate side with drafting a CNR bill. Um, on the House side, a separate bill will be drafted by the House Education and Workforce Committee. Eventually, both these bills will be merged and sent to both houses for passage before CNR 2010 expires on September 30th, or or, or that's the plan anyway. In 2010, CNR actually did not pass until December 2nd. we're going to be focusing on the elements of CNR that involve school food service, directly or indirectly. So, for instance, we will not be talking about WIC, although, as you probably know, that's an equally critical piece of this bill. Um, so about our guest, uh, prior to joining the committee, Jacqueline served as the legislative director for uh, for Congressman Jim Costa of California, where she managed his legislative team and oversaw his work on the House Agriculture Committee, and the 2008 Farm Bill. Um, Jacqueline also led the congressman's efforts on a host of issues, including health care, health reform, food safety, education, immigration, and trade. Uh, Jacqueline is a Michigan native and a graduate of James Madison University. Jacqueline, welcome to Inside School Food.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Um, So today's
2: walkthrough is going to be kind of basic, but not super basic, you know, kind of technical, but hopefully not too technical for our listeners to follow. Um, And listeners, if anything about today's conversation does go over your head, fear not, because I'll, I'll be posting some terrific CNR primer type material on today's show page. There's a white paper and a webinar from the Food Resource and Action Center, which you might find helpful. Um, Jacqueline, I'd like to start with a quick look at both the committees um, that I just mentioned. How many, just to get started, like how many legislators sit on each of these committees?
1: So, in the Senate, we have 20 members of the Agriculture Committee, which is the Committee of Jurisdiction. Eleven are currently Republicans, nine are Democrats. Mm -hmm. Um, The ratio does switch depending on which party is in charge. The majority always has a couple extra seats on the committee, Uh, and depending on how large that majority is, that could adjust. But currently, there are 20 members, 11 Republicans, nine Democrats. Mm -hmm. The Education and Workforce Committee on the House side is a bit larger, um, as many of your uh, listeners, I'm sure, know. Uh, The House of Representatives have many more members, Mm -hmm. Uh, so the Education and Workforce Committee does have 38 members, 22 Republicans, 16 Democrats, and um, they also operate a little bit differently than the Senate committees in that they also utilize their subcommittees a bit more than we do since our committee is small. Most major pieces of legislation are considered at the full committee level, but the Early Childhood Education Subcommittee on the House side um, will also dive into this issue specifically and um, in a smaller venue with... Nine Republicans and seven Democrats.
2: Okay. And then how do legislators get named to these committees?
1: Uh, whenever a new uh, senator is joining uh, the Senate, they have the opportunity to make recommendations to their leadership on uh, what committees they would like to serve on. Um, some committees are considered to be a bit more exclusive and senior um, for more senior members. Other committees, uh, you know, are generally places where newer members come in. Mm-hmm. The Agriculture Committee has a real mix. We have some very senior members of the United States Senate on both sides of the aisle that have served on the committee for uh, a long time in many cases, including my boss, Mm -hmm. uh, but also some new members who have particular interests in agriculture and nutrition issues in their state.
2: Okay. Um, So obviously, we want to talk mainly about your committee, the Senate one, though, of course, you know, I welcome you to comment on the overlapping work of the House committee if it comes up. Um, So to date, um, so today is what, June 22nd, Um, what has the Senate Agriculture Committee done that that has been, you know, accessible to the public and covered by the press?
1: So uh, the child nutrition process actually really started last year under um, the Senate's consideration. And last year, uh, we actually had a Democratic majority and Senator Stabenow was the chair. And after uh, the most recent election, the the Senate did flip and now is under the leadership of Senator Roberts from Kansas, but mm-hmm. we actually started this process back last summer around the same time with a series of hearings, really big-picture hearings that um, started a uh, very high level talking about the importance of child nutrition. Why is this an issue that people should be paying attention to? What are some of the dynamics um, that child nutrition affects outside of just the immediate relationship to um meal standards in the kitchen and things that we we traditionally think of as child nutrition programs, Mm -hmm. but really trying to back it up a little bit and say, why is this important? So we heard from generals from Mission Readiness talking about uh, the national security component of the struggles that we're facing with obesity in this country and our military readiness. We heard from educators about the importance of healthy meals for students uh, in in their ability to actually learn and excel in schools Mm -hmm. and, and from parents and principals all talking about the big picture and why this is important and then we moved on to really drilling down into some of the specifics of the programs hearing from a variety of school food service directors talking about their day-to-day operations produce distributors industry folks um, really talking about how the programs operate and um, some of the key components of uh, what actually goes on during during a school day and through the process of actually trying to provide those healthy meals so we started that process last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator Roberts came in as chair this year and um, really wanted to, to look at a big picture, all of the components in one hearing. Uh, so that's actually what we did this summer um, in in May, actually, looking at all of the components of the child nutrition bills, ranging from school meals to summer meals, the importance of farm-to-school programs, some of the relationship to some of the other programs that I know isn't um, aren't directly your focus, like mm-hmm. the WIC per program and uh, after-school meals and daycare settings all in one hearing, so we did have a hearing this summer where we looked at all of those different components. All of those things are accessible and you can read through some of the transcripts and um, the the statements that were provided as a part of those hearings uh, and the testimony that were provided by our witnesses. Um, So those are the primary focuses, the things that we've done uh, as a committee really looking at child nutrition and really laying the groundwork for the work that we're going to do this summer.
2: Right. And, and I should mention that um, on today's show page, there'll be links to um, sites where you can find those hearings, both video and the written testimony. Um, Jacqueline, who, who
1: chooses the witnesses for these hearings? So generally, it's a collaboration between uh, the majority, which in this case is currently um, the Republicans and the minority. Uh, We collaborate a lot. One of the great things about the Agriculture Committee here on the Senate is we do have a very bipartisan relationship between senators and um, and both when my boss was chair and Senator Roberts, uh, we've really tried to work together to to look at what the themes were and the key messages that we want to get out of a hearing. So um, both the, the Republicans and Democrats have a role in choosing the witnesses for each hearing. Of course, mm-hmm. the majority gets to choose a few more uh, mm-hmm. in most cases than the minority does, but we really did have a collaboration um, for each of those hearings on what were really the key issues and topics we wanted to cover. Right,
2: right. And so and, then, and in addition to the public hearings, I, I imagine there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes that is not necessarily evident to the public. Um, you know, for instance, what is the nature of your... Interaction um, behind the scenes with stakeholder groups like food industry sectors, school nutrition association, not-for-profit child welfare advocates—you know, groups like that.
1: Uh, I think over the past year and a half as we've been considering this bill, we've heard a great deal from a variety of different advocacy groups coming in and talking directly with members, showcasing some of the work that they've been doing, some of the strengths of some of the programs they've been running. Mm -hmm. We've also done a variety of different things for staff specifically uh, to educate them on all the programs and the operations. So they're really prepared to consider the bill and look at what's working and where some of the challenges are. So uh, at the staff level, we've been doing a variety of different, topical roundtables where Mm -hmm. staff really have the opportunity to engage and have a good dialogue uh, with Folks from industry, school food service directors, with providers, a variety of different folks who are engaged in these programs on a daily basis, um, and we've also done some site visits uh, out to farm-to-school programs, to local school food authorities to see the work that's going on on the ground. Uh, so folks really have the opportunity to do that, and I, I would also say members on a regular basis do try to go back to their districts and visit uh, their states and visit schools and programs that are engaged in this area. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of invitations coming in from different advocacy groups to make sure that they can showcase some of the work that they're doing and um, discuss some of the issues that are pending before the committee now. So I think that that's both going on here in, in Washington, D.C., but also back in the states directly right. with members.
2: Right, right. So members, I'm sure, are very much in demand right now and are going to be more so as this things heat up this summer. Um, what's, you know, On the maybe this is not a question you can answer yet because there's so much that's going to happen. But you know what's on the calendar for the committee um, in July and August, and if it's if it's a huge amount, maybe just tell us in broad strokes.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, because the reauthorization is set to expire on September 30th, we really are shooting to meet that deadline for the reauthorization of these programs. As I mentioned, these are obviously very critical uh, programs for all of the members of our committee and really do have a great impact. So we want to make sure that we do everything we can to try and complete our work on time. So that does mean that the next couple months are going to be pretty busy. Mm -hmm. Um, We have spent a lot of time in the information gathering phase already over the past year or so. So now we're really at the point where we're distilling down the information that we've received from interest groups across the board, advocates, uh, and trying to figure out where the priorities of our members are. What are things that are, um, you know, generally have received a great deal of support and consensus? Things that we can make some progress on. Where are some of the issues that are a bit more challenging? Where we might need to spend some time negotiating or working through mm-hmm. some of the suggestions to distill down something that might be palatable to put in the bill and where are some of the more controversial issues. So we'll go through that process here, uh, hopefully over the remaining time before the August recess, and then move to the phase where the committee will actually consider a bill and mark up the legislation and members will have the opportunity to offer amendments and um, discuss some of the things that have been included in areas of priority before we move the bill along, hopefully for floor consideration, so we can complete the bill on
2: time. Right, right. So I want to get back to that in a minute, what you just said. About areas where there's consensus and where areas where we don't have consensus yet. But before I go there, I just would like to ask you, you know, as we were just discussing, there's. Um Many bills that have been introduced in connection with CNR 2015. So, you know, for instance, the School Healthy Healthy School Meals Flexibility Act, the School Modernization School Food Modernization Act, the Summer Meals Act, the School Milk Nutrition Act. Um, There's a bunch of them, and and there's um, links to them on um, today's show page. So, can these bills be introduced by legislators that are not serving on the committees, or is this strictly the work of, of the committees?
1: So any member of the Senate can introduce a bill on any topic they would mm-hmm. like to see considered. So it's not just limited to members of the committee, and as you'll see in some of the bills that have been introduced so far, and some that I think are still under consideration, that members are exploring different issues, um, They are. they come from a range of different senators from all different states and different committees. Mm-hmm. We do mm-hmm. tend to, of course, have a lot of folks that are actually serving on the committee that have identified these programs as a, a particular interest and do tend to be folks that lead on the bills that are within the child nutrition reauthorization. So you do see Senator Heidkamp, Senator Gillibrand, Senators Cochran and Leahy Mm -hmm. that have come together um, that are members of the committee to introduce bills. But they also have great co-sponsors like Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski on these bipartisan bills that aren't serving on the agriculture committee but do still care a great deal about these
2: programs. Okay, great. And then I'm sorry if this sounds like a dumb question, but, you know, this is pretty unfamiliar territory for a lot of us. What's the pr- so these bills are eventually going to get folded into the larger architecture of the Senate CNR bill. So is there a process for sort of
1: debating them separately or, you know, how, how do they, how does it work? So, I think one of the things that identifies, that sort of distinguishes the Agriculture Committee from some of the other committees is we do tend to do a lot of what we call omnibus bills, where they aren't just focused specifically on one issue or just a markup of a piece of legislation that uh, an individual member has introduced, but tend to be big bills like the Child Nutrition Reauthorization, the Farm Bill, the Commodities Future Trading Commission Authorization, uh, all of these that that bring together a variety of different topics within a subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in the case of child nutrition, address everything from the WIC program to summer meals to farm-to-school programs. So we won't consider each of those bills individually like you would a smaller bill in mm-hmm. some other committees. We'll look at all of these different piece of le- pieces of legislation that have been introduced and try to fold them together into one package that will be the child nutrition reauthorization. And so each of these bills and I, I mentioned a couple of them that specifically had bipartisan support. That's a great foundation for mm-hmm. us to look at areas where there is bipartisan consensus that this is an issue that needs consideration. We'll look at all of those bills and who is interested in them, uh, what is the representation, which members have made this a priority, and, and try to focus on some of those areas of consensus as the foundation.
2: Okay, that's, that's really helpful. Thank you. So let, let's let's move on to those areas where there, there is consensus. And because we we, we have talked about them, we're seeing agreement. um, Well, why don't you tell me? Like, what what kind of, where, what can we count on um, going forward this summer? As you know, kind of solidly uh, getting support from both sides.
1: Well, I do think that we have um, some discussions to do between uh, Senator Stabenow and Chairman Roberts on what the package will look like. So uh, I will say that, that we are still in the pl- preliminary phases mm-hmm. of of uh, agreement on some of those pieces. But I do I would highlight some of the, the places that we do see bipartisan support um, and bills introduced, like uh, the Farm to School Act, which was introduced mm-hmm. by Senators Cochran and Leahy, uh, equipment and training has been an area where a lot of schools and, and members have identified as a priority to try and make that transition to uh, to um, schools actually being able to prepare healthy meals and um, and do some of the uh, training necessary in order to get school food service directors to a point that they're confidently preparing meals that are within the meal requirements mm-hmm. and, um, and are delicious as well. Uh, so I think that those are a couple areas. And then summer meals in general. This is an Area that has gotten a lot of attention for this reauthorization, uh, the participation in summer meals programs sees a huge drop off from the number of students that participate during the school year, uh, and in many cases are free meal students that we know that in the summertime uh, they don't have access to the same healthy meals that they do during the school year, and there's a huge drop off. So there's been a lot of interest uh, amongst uh, Republicans and Democrats, both on the committee and off of the committee, mm-hmm. to try and figure out, how we better address some of the barriers that are preventing those kids from having access to those meals in the summertime and make sure that we don't have a learning gap in the summer when kids are um, not participating in schools, that they continue to have both the nutrition and the resources to um, really be prepared to enter the next school year. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of attention in those areas and in a variety of different options that have been introduced by bipartisan members and are still being discussed on how to develop um, a solid package related to summer meals that will address all of those concerns, both in urban, suburban, and rural areas.
2: Oh, that's that's reassuring. Okay. So, Jacqueline, I'd like to take a pause for station break, and and when we come back, I'd like to talk about how the process may work or possibly not work when it comes to areas where we're not yet seeing agreement. Um, You're listening to Inside School Food, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Inside School Food. We are so fortunate to have us uh, with us today Jacqueline Schneider, um, Senator De- Debbie Stabenow of Michigan's staff expert on CNR 2015. Um, Senator Stabenow is the ranking member of the Senate Agriculture Committee, serving alongside Chairman Pat Roberts, a Republican from Kansas. Um, Jacqueline is here to walk us through how the Ag Committee goes about drafting a CNR bill that's comprised of many... Many, many moving parts. Um, so, Jacqueline, we're, we're all too familiar with those areas of CNR where we're not seeing the kind of consensus that you were just talking about, at at least not in public. I I feel like the media and school food activists are highly focused on the content of the SNA position paper and the Healthy School Meals Flexibility Act, um, which call for a lifting of the mandatory one-half cup of um, fruits and vegetables and the restoration of the 50% whole grain-rich requirement. Um, there's now a new proposal for the introduction of low-fat flavored milk that may may fan the flames even more as it runs counter to IOM recommendations. It, it it feels like the polarizing conversation around these issues and other matters to do with nutrition standards is is taking up a whole lot of the oxygen. I mean, working inside the process is is that your experience?
1: I actually think that there's a lot more consensus on some of these policies and uh, what's actually going on on the on the ground than uh, the media sometimes covers. So mm-hmm. it doesn't sound as interesting to talk about areas um, where there is a lot of consensus, but to really focus on some of the the difficulties and challenges, and and um, in some cases fan the flames that there's this great controversy. Now that's not to say that there isn't disagreement mm-hmm. on which direction we go on some of these things, but I think it's also important to take a step back and remember what, what we're really hearing from folks on the ground now yes there are still food service directors that are having difficulty but school food service directors have really done a tremendous job in bringing their programs up to the nutrition standards and 95 percent of schools are meeting the current standards and that's something that um, I know that there's still some challenges out there but something that we also need to recognize and give school food service directors credit for um, because that is a huge accomplishment to make some of the changes that have been made and we also have an amazing amount of support coming in from a variety of different sectors as I mentioned in our priority hearing uh, we heard from generals and principals and parents all of whom who were saying this is this is critical and it's really important that um, we maintain some of these standards and that we move forward on the process um, you know parents say three to one that they support uh, healthy meal standards and we've heard tremendous things from across the state on mm-hmm. uh, across the country on where that support it is. And I think that members of Congress also recognize both sides of those conversations. And it's important that we address some of the areas of concern, but also recognize how much progress has been made and how many successes are actually happening out there, and and make sure that we talk about those things and recognize those things as
2: well. Well, we we do a lot of that on that show. We not only talk about successes, but we talk about... How it is possible? Um, and so, you know, I amen, amen to what you're saying. I, I, I noticed um, one of the hearings I watched that Sever- Senator Stabenow brought a shiny measuring cup to show just how little a half cup of fruit and vegetable amounts to, and Senator Gillibrand brought half cup portions of sliced new york state apples and baggies and offered them to the committee for a snack so they, they don't look like they're ready to back down on those half cup requirements um, but i have to say that passing out apples is at least a very friendly gesture so in good spirit
1: well, absolutely. And I think that there's been tremendous progress, um, both from school food service directors in trying to figure out how to incorporate a half cup of fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and also from the industry on trying to figure out what ways are uh, school food service director and kid-friendly to make the fruits and vegetables appealing. And I think one of the things that my boss really tries to highlight with that half cup is mm-hmm. just how small of a serving we're actually talking right. about. And it's, right. it's really hard to visualize some of these standards sometimes and what it actually means uh, in practice for a kid who's sitting there considering it. But it really is a small amount of fruits and vegetables that we're asking schools to provide to lay the foundation for a future of healthy eating and the habit that if you are having a complete meal, fruits and vegetables are a really key component. So that's one of the things that we've really tried to highlight, and uh, the half cup is actually really taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, as a conversation point, we have a great food service director, Betty Wiggins, in Detroit Public Schools, who actually has put together some pictures of their students holding up the fruits and vegetables that they love in their half cups, super excited that they now have access to fruits and vegetables and um, farm-to-school programs that are push- putting Michigan products on the... The, uh, the trays in Detroit public schools and you know, fruits and vegetables that many of these kids have never been exposed to in the past. So that's something that as we're looking at the reauthorization, we're trying to figure out how we can help schools to better supply those items um, rather than saying, how do we go backwards? How do we support schools to to meet the standards and to have the variety and options and time for kids to eat the healthy meals?
2: Right. Okay. And, and I want to talk about the whole grain thing. I've remarked on this show before that there appears to be, at least appears to be widespread confusion over what whole grain rich means. Um, You know, it doesn't mean 100% whole grain, um, far from it. And and yet I observe Some legislators using the terms interchangeably, which has got the press confused. So the press is using the terms interchangeably, and now the public is confused. I mean, do do you feel that um, the committee members, at least on the Senate side, understand the distinction between 100 percent whole grain rich and 100 percent whole grain
1: I think that school meal standards in general can be confusing to synthesize down. And we're really talking about some, some complex issues in terms of what counts and what doesn't mm-hmm. and crediting and how meal patterns are treated in schools. And I think sometimes it, that line does get blurred and that's unfortunate uh, because there actually is a lot more flexibility in what schools can serve than, uh, than I think the conversation sometimes um, alludes to. Mm-hmm. And not only is the hundred percent whole grain, uh, Um, whole grain rich, not 100% whole grain, and it's really 50%. And as we're going down to the 50% threshold, it's really 25% because we're talking about whole grain rich, not 100% whole grain across the board. Uh, I do think that that conversation gets lost. And we've also provided a lot of flexibility for schools that were having difficulty on the 100% whole grain rich already in terms of the the pasta flexibility that uh, schools took advantage of because there was a technical issue in uh, the pasta staying in good condition, and then the additional flexibility that was provided last year in terms of the overall 100% whole grain requirement uh, and exemptions for schools, really to try and smooth that transition, but Mm -hmm. still move in the direction of getting to 100% whole grain rich, because that's something that's not only important from a nutrition standpoint and according to the dietary guidelines, but also something parents have said uh, they'd like to see for their kids in schools.
2: Well, and and according to so many um, guests, food service directors and chefs who have appeared on the show, completely feasible. Um, And so I guess a lot of us are really puzzled over the politicization of whole grain and are wondering, like, why is this happening?
1: I think there was a legitimate concern when the 100% whole grain rich provision was rolled out, when it actually uh, was a mandate. There were still some some technical issues issues with the industry and what was available for school food service directors to choose from. Mm-hmm. And that was a legitimate concern with the pasta. And I think manufacturers do take some time to catch up. And that's another thing that we are really trying to take into account as we're looking at meal standards going forward. A lot of Time and energy goes into this transition. Um, when Congress starts and stops, it makes it very difficult for industry to know what the standard's going to be and what they need to move towards. And I think one of the things that we did see with Whole Grains, because it got so much attention, you saw an absolute uh, shift in, in industry and uh, what their focus was uh, in terms of what they were producing for schools uh, and demonstrating at some of the conferences. I know I went to the Michigan Uh, um, School Nutrition Association conference not long after the whole grain issue was in the forefront about pasta and some of the other products being um, less than palatable and tortillas falling Mm -hmm, apart, mm -hmm. and everything I saw was whole grains. The industry came in and said, this is a problem that you guys have identified. We're going to do everything we can to move in the direction of providing products that address the concerns you're raising. And that's, that's what I saw in what the industry was bringing forward and saying, here's what we have to offer. So I think that some of that transition is happening as more products become available. And if you look at uh, what is available through USDA Foods um, and and through the department and some of the industry partners that they work with, um, there's a lot more available now in terms of the items that you can choose from than, than there was early in the program.
2: Right. Right. I'm, I'm going to be going to the... Um National Convention for the School Nutrition Association in Salt Lake City, and I'm really looking forward to seeing um, you know what industry has available and reporting back on Inside School Food about how they taste and what they are. Um, J- Jacqueline, um, sodium, isn't, sodium is another hot-button issue. Um, the School Nutrition Association is asking that we suspend implementation of further sodium limits. Um, your, your comment to me about this is, was that no one is opposed to discussing flexibility on sodium, but flexibility is different from simply waiving future targets. Can you say more
1: about that? I think one of the things that um, everyone can agree on is we want to make sure that there's items available, that industry can meet standards, and that school food service directors have choice. Uh, but but what we're talking about here is uh, a choice between moving in the direction of what is appropriate according to science and nutritional standards for the health of our kids and of our future generation versus let's talk about what the timetable is and what's available and um, what some of the logistical challenges are. And I don't think that anyone is shutting the door on conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's a difference between saying, if, if the current timetable is challenging, tell us what the appropriate timetable is. Um, I, I don't know that there's a good answer to that. There's just a discussion about stopping the standards where they're at, and Mm -hmm. and it's really important to remember what we're really talking about here. The, the school meals are designed to meet the portion of your daily sodium requirements that meet an overall healthy diet and sodium requirements because we do have to take into account that a lunch isn't the only meal of the day and that kids do go home and eat meals at home they do have a breakfast that that entire piece needs to come together to meet appropriate sodium standards for uh, for good health and so that target of the 2300 milligrams of sodium per day is one what has been recommended by the dietary guidelines, and if you look at where Target One is, um, it's a phase down over 10 years. We, we're phasing down sodium standards in order to meet that 2,300 milligrams a day overall sodium. Mm-hmm. So, where we're at at Target One is nowhere close to that. So. Is the goal to continue moving forward to what a healthy sodium level is over the course of the day, or are we saying that we don't want to follow what the dietary guidelines say? Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's also and when we're talking about meal standards in general, there's there is a big difference between having a conversation about um, what is the appropriate process and timetable of phasing in, which you know I think all the meal standards were phased in over a significant period of time. There's a big difference between talking about that what the appropriate timetable is to meet goals versus talking about locking in a standard into legislation that, um, that stops the progress on where we're trying to go to meet healthy standards. Okay. And overall, um, we, uh, we've we really tried to say we need to be making forward progress here. USDA has already provided a great deal of flexibility on things like meat and grains, whole grains, smoothies, a variety of different things that were raised as issues. And we can continue to work on where there are um, areas that we can improve upon uh, the process without just going backwards on some mm-hmm. of the standards. Okay, so so let's move
2: away from nutrition regulation and take a quick look at paid lunch equity. Um, the SNA is asking that districts that have a negative fund balance not be required to raise full pay meal prices. And Jesse Hewins from FRAC has commented on this show that rising prices are driving down participation among full pay students. I mean, where is the conversation currently headed on this issue?
1: I think that uh, in a lot of ways, the meal standards conversation has uh, pushed out a lot of other conversations on other topics uh, just because of the headlines and the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of those areas that is a very tricky balance, and I think USDA has been trying to work with schools to find the appropriate balance because on one hand, we hear a great deal from food service directors that they 're challenged from a budgetary standpoint to provide the healthy meals that we 're asking them to provide but uh, Um, One of the key components that the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act included was uh, a process to um, actually provide the revenue sources to provide healthy meals for all students. Uh, There was a lot of concern about the federal reimbursement, which was designed to cover the cost of a healthy meal for the students that were receiving that free or reduced or the paid meal reimbursement combined with the outside resources coming in from the student who was paying to to meet the requirements mm-hmm. to purchase and prepare those meals. And what we were seeing is uh, some cross-subsidization where some of the resources that were meant to meet the meal standard um, for the kids that were totally free, um, in order to keep the prices low for paid meal students, there was um, some of that that. Resources being siphoned away towards uh, the paid student. Now, that's not to say there aren't many places where students aren't challenged to actually pay for a meal. We have many people who are not free or reduced but are near poor uh, that are challenged, and Mm -hmm. there are a lot of different ways that schools can adjust uh what their prices need to be um, in order to account for that. And uh you can bring in non federal uh resources in order to keep your prices low, uh to subsidize with non federal resources to do that. And schools that do have a positive balance and are meeting the requirements, uh there is some flexibility and USDA has already issued some waivers mm-hmm. for schools that uh that are able to demonstrate they're meeting all the requirements. They they have a a neutral or positive balance um, that they have some flexibility in what they need to do with their prices. But um, what we don't want to see is schools uh, reducing the standards and the meals that they're providing across the board in order to not raise prices. And I think that that's that's some of the conversation that folks are having is where is that balance?
2: Right. Got it. Okay. Um, So just to wrap up a little, Jackie, as, as we head into a summer of, you know, increasingly dense and complex debate over CNR. 2015. Um, Do you have any words of advice to school food service professionals who want to be heard?
1: Absolutely. I think now is really the time to be weighing in with members, inviting members and staff out to uh, visit your sites, whether it's a summer meal site or a uh, school food service site. I know, you know, obviously we're entering summer months where schools are closed down, but um, we do have a whole variety of schools that stay open for additional time during the summer or run summer meals programs as well. Uh, Inviting members out, staff members out, to actually see firsthand what you're doing uh, is really important to this process, Um, making calls, sending letters. And I would also say uh, don't feel limited to just the positions that are out there. Uh, If you have something to contribute to the conversation that isn't specific to whether or not we should have 100% whole grain rich or whether or not fruits and vegetables should be included in the meal, but you have creative ideas, we're looking for those as well. Mm -hmm. I think uh, in order to get to a consensus, a bipartisan position, we're looking for ways that we can address some of the concerns in a way that isn't just uh, polarizing issues as a part of this process. So if there's something going on with your school's procurement, uh, some challenges that you have with some of the logistics, something great that you've seen going on in your local district that you can share that we can try to replicate. Um, You know, we've heard great stories from schools that are partnering with uh, produce distributors to do case tests or to send foods home through CSAs and do produce fundraisers and other creative ideas like that in order to get um, sort of that full, complete interest in healthy meals, not only at school and at home, or, um, you know, ideas on how you've incorporated cooking demonstrations, like the Cooking Up Change program that Mm -hmm. we just had Mm -hmm. here. Um, You know, how can we incorporate more of those kinds of things, either uh, through the reauthorization or even just encouraging those types of um, outreach and support for schools uh, more, more broadly for schools that are having difficulty? We need to hear some of those things as well because um, we will be looking for additional creative solutions that uh, address some of the issues that some of the remaining schools are having without uh, just focusing on meal standards or not.
2: Right, right. And, and and I should add, just as a plug for my show, that some of these really constructive examples that you're uh, looking for have been featured on Inside School Foods. So um, I encourage the committee members to kind of troll through um, past episodes over the past years. A lot of good stuff. Um, Finally, Jackie, um, Jacqueline, sorry, um, (laughs) some of my people who are following Inside School Food on Facebook know that I I have expressed some frustration that people like Sid Miller, the Texas Agriculture Commissioner, has no trouble attracting the attention of the likes of the New York Times and the Associated Press when he gives cupcakes amnesty or, you know, reintroduces deep fryers in schools. I, I mean... I feel like it's, it's, so, it's such a distraction from what's really important, what's really going on. I mean, how do you feel like the media could better serve the public with regard to CNR 2015 coverage?
1: I think it would be, and I, there are some media sources, and, and your show is certainly an example, but there are some sources that are highlighting some of the positives, but we really do need to see some of the positive messages out there in terms of what is going on on the ground. We do have tremendous successes going on throughout the country in meeting the meal standards and um, and some of the creative solutions that schools are coming up with in order to get there. The more we can highlight some of those examples as well, uh, I think that's not only Only good for the conversation um, and brings the attention of members to some of the good things that are going on in their states, but Mm -hmm. it also is great examples for other schools that are looking for creative solutions to replicate. And I know I mentioned the Cooking Up Change event here. We actually just had a great event uh, where the Cooking Up Change kids came through and they uh, for your listeners who haven't listened to one of your other programs, Mm -hmm. um, these are kids that are coming in and preparing meals that meet the school nutrition standards and also within the budgets of what their schools would actually have to do it under, Um, they came in, they competed with great dishes they prepared, they brought them to the Senate and to the House and actually showcased these dishes for members of Congress. Um, Those are the kinds of things that we want to highlight and elevate to show uh, the creative thinking that is going on and and also to highlight some of the challenges uh, that we still have out there. So I think to a certain extent, things like the meal standards have um, really overshadowed some of the conversations about important other issues Mm -hmm. like summer meals that and farm to school and equipment and training that are really issues that we're trying to address as a part of these reauthorizations how do we hold those up and make sure that those are um, front page news as well and are the things that are filling up folks in boxes um, we really need to do a better job of making sure that those messages out are out there and those stories are the kinds of things that parents are talking about around the dinner table as well
2: well um, here at Heritage Radio we will try to do our part Jacqueline <laughs> um, thank you
1: I appreciate
2: it. Um, We have been speaking with Jacqueline Schneider, who is Deputy Staff Director and Policy Director for the Senate Agriculture Committee under the leadership of Ranking Member Debbie Stabenow. Jacqueline, I really appreciate you joining us today to shine some light on a complex political process that profoundly impacts the lives of professionals working inside school food. Um, Also, my thanks to Mark Bishop at Healthy Schools Campaign for his help in thinking through some of the content of today's episode. Thank you. Uh, resource links to today's episodes can be found on insideschoolfood.com. You can also listen to the show uh, at heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, lots of you are now subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher for listening on your mobile devices. However you listen, you only get to be one of my favorite listeners if you let me know who you are. You can do this by signing up for the Inside School Food newsletter or following the show via Twitter or Facebook Um, it's a huge help to us when you do that so please do that Uh, this is inside school food on the Heritage Radio Network next week we are going to drill down on just one of the elements of CNR that we talked about today the farm to school Act of 2015 lots of people are excited about its potential to take farm to school to the next level Um, I'm Laura Stanley and I look forward to getting you excited about it too
1: To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thank you.